0: MSW Media. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. We'll pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Ooh,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Welcome to the show. What we're drinking with Dan Dunn. I am Dan Dunn. Coming to you today from about two and a half hours east due east from Los Angeles in a place called Pioneertown. You're going to hear all about it on this show with our special guest, one of the finest bar industry folk I've ever known, a legend in the L.A. bartending scene who has opened a bar out here in Pioneertown. His name is Eric Alperin, and uh, I'm going to be talking to him in a second. And the good news on the show today, everybody, is I'm never going to speak over Eric because I drove all the way out here to do the show, social distanced, and I uh, I only brought one microphone, forgot a microphone, so I have to I have to throw the mic after I speak, I have to throw it six feet to Eric, who will then catch it and reply. It's going to be a an interesting way of doing things on the show, but I, you know what? What's the worst? thing that could happen It's the worst thing that could happen i don't know that yeah, could be that that could happen um okay anyway we're out here pioneer town it is a lovely day by by summer standards in the high deserts of california it's only about 95 96 degrees today pleasant it's downright uh, chilly out here compared to what if you go down the hill a stretch see i'm trying to talk like a, trying to tap into my inner cowboy if you go down the hill a piece, it's down there towards palm down yonder towards Palm Springs. It gets very, very hot. It's about 110 degrees in Palm Springs. Anyway, I've spoken enough. I'm going to throw the mic. Make sure you catch his it. Expensive mic. If I'm going to throw the mic over to the man who has opened this bar, the red dog saloon. He's going to tell us all about it. He's going to tell us about Pioneer Town itself. And I'm going to be sipping on the Del Maguey Vita with him while we do this here. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm "What We're Drinking" with Dan Dunn. I almost said my old uh, my old show. <laughs> I almost said "Drinking Fun Time." Let's give a warm "What We're Drinking" with Dan Dunn. Welcome to Eric Alpern.
2: Yeah, that was a good throw. That was a really good throw, Dan. I think mid throw, we we sprayed it with a. Uh, uh, a bottle of isopropyl alcohol so <clears throat> we are fully social distancing on on your on the second show of yours that i've been on and it's funny how you almost said that it was your last show because i think we were doing that at uh, what was the bar we were at in
1: la throw me mic. oh i'm gonna throw you the mic boom oh god all right uh that was it i believe that was at the the legendary formosa cafe that's where we were the foremost cafe. So I'm going to tee it up for you. Okay. I in, give us the, give us the, the nutshell pitch about pioneer town itself and what informed your decision to come out here and open this amazing saloon. Here it comes. Ready? Hey. Pioneertown.
2: pioneer town. Well, I got to tell you when I moved out here to Los Angeles, uh, from New York, uh, in December of two thousand six, early on in two thousand seven, some friend of mine in LA said, "Hey, you got to go check out Joshua Tree and the Palm Desert, the Low Desert, the High Desert." Actually, you were talking about Palm Springs out here. What I've learned is they call it downstairs, and they call up here upstairs. So if you ever go to Palm Springs from up here, you're going downstairs, and if you're going back home up to you know the High Desert, you're going upstairs. Um, so I was introduced to this part of, uh, of the world, uh, due east of Los Angeles, uh, over a decade ago. And I, I fell in love with it. Um, I stayed at the Pioneer Town Motel before, um, my uh, and my current partners, because uh, the French brothers who now own the Pioneer Town Motel are also partners in this new project uh, called the Red Dog Saloon, and it's not really a new project because it uh, it was part of the old spaghetti Western town that Pioneer Town is. Uh, back in uh, '46, you had uh, Gene Autry and Roy Rogers, and they basically didn't want to be owned by the studio system, so they kind of gave it a big fuck you and and took a bunch of cinematographers and some actors and said, listen, we're going to go out to the desert, we're going to build our own sets, um, we'll build places for us to live, and we're going to shoot our own movies and our own show. And uh, a lot of the uh, Gene Autry show was shot out here. So on this street, which is, um, we're actually sitting on the porch of, uh, of the Red Dog Saloon, which has its uh, grand soft opening tonight. So thanks for coming up and joining us for that. And what I do love is that we are actually – we are actually doing our second interview in a bar. Like pandemic, get the hell out of the way because you can't stop Dan Dunn and Eric Alpern from doing a live fucking podcast in a bar. Um, so we are on the patio of the Red Dog Saloon, which is on Main Street, Horses Main Street, M-A-N-E Street, which I think is pretty cool. And you can't drive a car down this street. It's only uh, it's only hoof and, and foot traffic allowed on this street. And you have a lot of old... Um, uh, a lot of old uh, like Hollywood uh, set uh, storefronts. You've got the bank, you've got the jailhouse. Uh, what else you got? You got the saddlery. you've got the general store. And what's so cool is that there's a woman named Christy. Actually, she's, a, she's become a really good friend of the red dog, but she's a, she's a local here um, about like 16 years. And when she came out here and she, uh, she owns a lot of uh, what is now main street and has uh, played a big part, along with Ben Losher, who is our landlord of the Red Dog Saloon, in preserving um, what uh, what Pioneertown is. So um, the Friends of Pioneertown have made it so that Main Street cannot be turned into anything like a Starbucks or a Dollar General or a 7-Eleven or any of that. So we're never going to lose this, this Spaghetti Western cowboy feel. And um, about uh, two and a half years ago, um, one of my partners, Adam Weisblatt, there's a group of us, there's about eight of us, but he came to me and he said, Hey, you know where this is and he showed me an old storefront and i was like don't fuck with me that's pioneer time he said you want to build a bar there i said fuck yeah i want to build a bar that's that's like a dream come true long story short that storefront didn't work out and we met ben Losher, who owns the red dog saloon which was part of the spaghetti western sets And uh, we partnered up about a group of eight of us, and uh, now we're opening, reopening the Red Dog Saloon. And I I see Dan Dunn wanting to talk. You see, I see he gets nervous when he doesn't have a mic in front of him. This is really awesome, and I can do this to Dan only because I've known him for over a decade. Dan, Dan is getting red. He's sweating. Come on, let's just a sip of mezcal before I give you the mic. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to launch the mic over to Dan Dunn. Thank you so much for letting me monopolize on your show.
1: Yeah, I. I definitely do get nervous. I'm watching Eric hold the microphone and I have all these ideas and I want to get them out. I need to get them out. So this town was built as a basically sets for movies. But you run one of the most sort of urban, you know, bars like in downtown Los Angeles. The Varnish is the farthest thing from this the varnish is very polished it is the you know it is the quintessential modern speakeasy it's a it one bar of the year right or it, right it tails of the cocktail or something it won some big award i Best bar. vaguely remember being i think i was on stage with you at some point i don't know how that happened but so to go from there to here are you still i mean that place is not is closed now during covid but are you still involved there or do you see yourself as like wanting to kind of spend more time and stay out here
2: you you, you see you didn't you didn't even want to pass the mic you're like i'm gonna you're listen today's show is about how dan dunn is a little bit of a control freak and i'm here to help you through that dan uh no let's get to it um so yes i am definitely still involved with my bars in los angeles and uh i am a new york city kid but uh there is a part of me that loves being out in the country in uh, in nature, and I'm a bit of a city slicker. But uh, I I do love being out in the in the desert and and sporting some boots and cowboy hat and and who in the bar business doesn't dream of having a saloon? I mean, come on, and a saloon that you can reopen in an old Hollywood set. Uh, this place, it attracts all kinds. It's, it's very, very cool. You meet a lot of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to meet living in Los Angeles. A lot of you would just you'd pass each other by on the street. But out here, it's a magnet. It's, a, it's really like like flies to the light of uh, all these different personalities and, and, and walks of life. And um, a lot of people, because of the pandemic, are wanting to have uh, sanctuaries outside of the city. So I get about a call a week. We're like, hey, because um, my brother and I bought a house together just down the road. Uh, they're like, hey, how, how did that go for you? What was the process? How, where'd you find it? And I'm like, dude, I just looked on Trulia, looked at four houses, and the fifth one was the one we bought. So you're getting a real push for people that want to move outside the city. Uh, in terms of the bars in LA, oh, boom, boom. Oh, i am gonged,
1: you gonged me? That's the sim- that's the si- that's the new signal that I need the microphone back if I gong you. Uh I, well no, I this is the thing I do want to know is when you mention the saloon, want when when covid does end and we can get back to sort of operating like normal, I vow to you, my friend that I will do this. I want to come here one day and I want to sit at the saloon. I want to sit at the saloon. I want to hunker down at the bar and I want to order a whiskey and when you bring that I don't want to go leave it cuz that's what they always did in the old westerns with the bottle leave it yeah leave it leave is that by the way is that is that legal in the can you are not you're not legally allowed to put a bar a, a, a thing a bottle on the bar and someone can pour their own drinks can you
2: You know, that's an interesting question, thinking I've been in the bar industry for so many years, because I started thinking of bottle service. And I went, how how does that work? Because they do have a woman who's pouring it for you, but then she leaves when you're at a nightclub and you end up pouring it for yourself. But on the bar top, I'm pretty damn sure that you cannot, you can show the bottle. I can be like, here we go, Dave. you want to check out the bottle?
1: I just need to correct, Eric. He said there's a uh, woman pouring it for you. And I'm just going to say on this show, could be a man as well. That's all I'm saying. Could be a man, could be a woman. There's no sexism on what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. All right, back back to Alper. How
2: do you how do you make that gong happen? Because I want to gong <laughs> the shit out of you. Uh yes, it could be a man. It could be a woman. Absolutely. Uh my experience in uh, nightclubs in Hollywood, which are few, um, but what I do remember was that it was uh very uh, beautiful women who were serving you bottles and doing bottle service. Um, And it's not really a scene that I was a part of. Uh, So in terms of leaving a bottle on the bar and letting somebody pour it, uh, you can't do that. You can pour it for them. You can leave the bottle on the bar so they can check out the details of the label. But uh, yeah, it's not like the wild West, but sometimes you break the rules, right, Dan?
1: We do break the rules. And speaking of the rules, one of the rules we have here on the show is I actually have to pay the bills with an ad so I'm going to run, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor. and We'll be back from the Red Dog Saloon with Eric Alperin, right on the other side of this message. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months. So you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results. So it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Well, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to Keeps.com slash drinking that's k e e p s dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you. Keeps, keeps. We're playing for keeps here at the Red Dog Saloon in Pioneer Town, California. Pioneer Town. So uh, Eric's uh, taking a quick break. He's he is opening the bar. This is opening night of the bar so uh, he's taking a quick break he's gonna be back with us on the other side but with us we have uh, one of our uh, what we're drinking uh correspondents you don't often hear him. he, he was he used to be on our my former show drinking fun time more often he's making his return now to the world of podcasting uh ladies and gentlemen please give a warm what we're drinking welcome to uh, rick mccarthy Thank you. So, Rick, you uh, you came out here to help us out with the show. And I should mention that Rick and I had lunch and a couple of beers before we came over here to do this recording at a very famous, sl- another bar here in Pioneertown called Pappy and Harriet's. And I invite you to Google Pappy and Harriet's. It's an old, you know, like honky-tonk roadside bar music venue. But some of the most famous musicians of all time have played here from paul mccartney I, rick was saying he believes the rolling stones played here uh, uh, robert plant queen is of the stone age play out here i know they're out josh Hom lives out this way they've played there, i believe the foo fighters have played i mean all these bands have played at pappy and Harriet's, which is just like it's like the bar in roadhouse that's what it looks like and so that we just had lunch there but we were just i was thinking it'd be a good fun segment to have rick on Rick is a a student of film, actually. and I want to ask you, Rick, what are some of your all-time favorite westerns? So this is a town that was built to shoot westerns. What are some of your favorite westerns? Well,
3: uh, I always enjoyed Unforgiven. I think Tombstone, of course. Uh, You know, some of the Glenn Ford westerns, you know, back in the day.
1: And Blazing Saddles. That's not the sound effect I wanted to do. I wanted to do this one after. Because Rick's funny. I played at the top of the show. That was a, you know, I'm your Huckleberry, of course, was Val Kilmer in a very famous scene from Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer, Michael Bean, Kurt Russell. So this here, I guess, Gene Autry, it was a little before my time, but Rick, you, he was a contemporary of yours, right? Gene Autry?
3: Gene and I used to play poker uh, on Tuesday nights when he was in town.
1: Man, by the way, when we're doing a segment where I have to keep passing the mic back and forth, you you got to sustain your dialogue a little bit longer. So let me give you something to talk about. Um, Rick also has a day job. He he owns a barbecue restaurant. You've heard me talk about it on the Adam Carolla Show. It kind of feels like this could be a kind of place where you might want to open a barbecue joint. What do you think?
3: yeah I would love it out here There's, there's so much open space uh'd be great. you wouldn't have to really get that much wood to cook with because it's so hot already that the meat would just kind of cook itself. cook itself yeah <laughs> it's it's damn hot, but uh yeah, it'd be great out here
1: and the uh you know one of the other uh, obviously iconic places that's very close about ten minutes away is joshua tree Joshua Tree National Park which of course, you know, that park was named after a U2 album that, uh, oh wait, no, is it the other way around, Rick? Yeah, it was the other way around. U2 named their album, The Joshua Tree After the Park. And that's really close. So it, this is a, a just a damn cool area to be. And if you get out to California, if you're in the Los Angeles area, certainly I would recommend coming out of here. Uh, we're excited to be at the Red Dog Saloon tonight. It's going to be a, a big to-do all, but of course social distance. They got a bunch of tables set up all spread out and we're all going to have our masks on. But I think there will be revelry and fun to be had for everyone. Rick, what are you uh, what are you expecting out of this evening?
3: Well, I see there's only one jail cell in the town, so uh I'm hoping it's already occupied before I get uh in trouble. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's it's such a great uh Saloon you know it's it's got the old porch out front, and uh just the classic western looking bar should be like
1: by the way, this is going to become a regular feature on the show from now on when I want people to stop talking, I'm just gonna gong them uh either gong or do you think it would be the better with the gong Rick or the the gong the gong yeah i think the gong's the way to go um let's you know what we got it why don't we take one more break we got another commercial to run and then on the other side of that eric alperin will be back with us so stay tuned what do we have here ah uh, yes mac weldon oh how i love me some mac weldon mac weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. From socks, to shirts, to hoodies, to their new adjustable Storm Chaser Rain Jacket, Mac Weldon's wares really are the longest-lasting, highest-quality items on the market. I went to MacWeldon.com recently and ordered a whole bunch of stuff. I got some 18-hour Jersey Crew neck undershirts, a couple of pairs of Ace shorts, and no-show socks. Mac Weldon really does value its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Weldon Blue Loyalty Program. Here's how it works. Create an account. It's totally free. Level one, place an order for any amount and never pay for shipping again. Level two, once you purchase $200 worth of products from Mac Weldon, not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you will also start saving 20% on every order you make for the next year. And now, Mac Weldon has a special offer for you. What we're drinking, listeners. For 20% off of first order, your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code DRINKING. Mac Weldon's mission is simple to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And I personally promise you this, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. I probably know more about drinking than you do, but at the same time, I don't mind hanging out with you. You know, you can call me up. I'm Dan Dunn. I drink for a living. I'm going to be hanging out at bars and events all over the world talking about one of the coolest things in the world,
0: Dan Dunn's Happy Hour.
1: Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's Happy Hour. Please send help. If this is anybody but Dan Dunn, I'm happy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. By the way, that's Kurt Russell, and he's lying. He loves me. Okay, that was Kurt Russell. He's the best, and, and I, I'm i in a Kurt mood because he's done a lot of westerns, Kurt has. Uh, Tombstone, and he did Bone Tomahawk. It was a great one that I we loved here. And So we're back with what we're drinking, and Eric Alperin is back with us. He went, and I think he fired half the staff just now, Uh, but now he's back, purged, and it's good to have him back. Eric, you, in addition to opening the bar, you also uh, have a book out now. You'll tell us a little bit about the book?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Uh, I agree with Kurt Russell, anybody but you. Um, I was actually just inside giving our uh, lineup. Really, Dan? Wow. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. Just hit me again. Just hit me again. <laughs> um but yeah, thanks for asking. I um from I've now joined your club. Actually, this is my first book. It's called Unvarnished. Uh and uh I wrote it with my co-writer Deborah Stoll. And um uh, man, it was quite a quite a journey. Uh, it started about 5 5 years ago and um there's so many great cocktail books, method and recipe books that are out there. It was, um, it was a challenge to figure out what we wanted to do, how we wanted to represent our time in this industry. And uh, both Deborah and I are, are actors, so telling stories was a big part of, of um, our proposal and figuring out uh, what kind of narrative we wanted to write. So we uh, wrote about the underbelly. You know, the fly on the wall perspective, the gimlet eyed view of what happens in the in the bar world. And uh, I think Dan Dunn has a thing or two to say about that as I throw the mic back to him.
1: Got it. So you're saying kind of maybe like a uh, a kitchen confidential sort of thing, like a Bourdain back back of the house. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, totally. That was actually the first book I read when, when I was a, a youngin, like getting in this business. So I was like, oh, you got to read this about this wild guy, Anthony Bourdain. And I've, I I mean, I'm sure y- you too. I mean, I've never, ever, ever forgotten about that, that, that book, that narrative. I love it. He's my hero. And um, yes, so I wanted in the Bar vein to do a version of a behind the scenes, a kitchen confidential, a bar confidential of, of sorts. And um, not only kitchen confidential, but um, Cosmopolitan by uh, Toby Cicchini is also one that inspired, uh, inspired the narrative. But um, we really take the journey of me moving out to Los Angeles and opening up the varnish. Uh, there's a little section in the center uh, with method and recipes. So there are some recipes in there. It's actually the first 115 cocktails you have to know to be a varnish bartender um but uh we talk about the good the bad and the ugly. Uh, we wanted to um uh, we wanted to leave some sort of manifesto that maybe we didn't have when we were coming up in the business. uh and so you've got everything from um nerding out on ice to um how to measure out your bar line, how to argue about uh design elements, all the way to vice, all the way to the sex drugs and rock and roll part which um which was really difficult to write about because I'm older, I've survived and of course, I'd like to say like, "Hey, drink more water, do more yoga, eat healthier." But nobody fucking wants to read that, so it was a challenge in figuring out how to how to show and not tell. And um, I, I hope we did a, a responsible job in in uh, weaving in the uh, the memoir stories of some of the negative parts of Vice to to really wild and raucous fun parts of it. Uh, because telling somebody uh, uh, you shouldn't drink and do drugs is not really a way you're going to get somebody not to drink and do drugs. Uh, maybe just to hear stories. Uh, uh-oh, uh-oh. uh-oh. Uh, is this another PSA on the Dan Dun Show? This is another PSA on the Dan Dunn Show.
1: <laughs> well, I was, you know, to that point, you mentioned that I've, I've written a few books myself. And I look back, you know, and I did not hold back in any of my books. And, Sometimes no, I did. I cringe, you know, especially not so much American Wino, which was the most recent one. But I mean, I was very confessional. A lot of stuff about my family in there. But in Living Loaded, the book before that, boy, I would if I could do it again. There are certain things I certainly, I don't think would have put in a book. And and it, and it is a it, it's a decision because look, when you're writing and you're creating any anything, right, whether it's a song or a book or. A page, it's a product of who you are at that moment. Okay. And who I was when I wrote Living Loaded, you know, you're constantly evolving. I'm a different guy now. And so some of the ideas, things that I maybe thought were cool or funny, especially in regards to like my, you know, womanizing and all of that, I look back on some of it. So it is, I'm sure you have to think about that when you're making these choices. Like, Right now, it might feel okay to talk about the time I blew lines off of, uh, you know, somebody's ass or something, you know, because it was funny. We were at a party and it was great. But how am I going to feel about that five years from now or if my kid's reading this thing in 10 years?
2: I never blew lines off of uh, dancers behind. Never. Uh, That's it's true, Dan. Uh, But, you know, our publisher was like, show up, show up or go home. And um, it's interesting. I don't regret. I feel like you have to put those stories out there so that you can be the either the cautionary tale in some way or just like, hey, uh, I. But <clears throat> it's really interesting because my parents read an advanced reading copy and I'm very close with them. I love them. A lot of the memoirs in, in the book is very positive, very loving, very caring. Uh, but I also talk about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that happened in our business. And so my parents, after they read it, my dad's a lawyer, he's actually my lawyer, um, He sent, they sent me a memo. It almost felt like a legal memo of some of the points they were unsure of or had questions about because when I gave it to them, I said, listen, there's some stuff that you will, of course, celebrate and love and there's stuff that you might have questions about, so let's talk and so i got that memo and there was a two-week period we went back and forth through email at first and then we talked about it where they're like well you know you don't you don't ever say well i don't do cocaine anymore well guess what i don't i think it's a wretched fucking drug it's like hamburger helper when you're drunk you're like oh i need to sober up so i can drink more you do that cycle long enough any of you anyone you realize oh fuck that's a bad fucking idea but no i didn't explicitly say i don't do cocaine anymore but guess what if you read the entire narrative you know, the character does go through a bunch of incarnations and lives that you can glean that he's not blowing lines off of someone's back. But uh, I think there's a lot of stuff in there that um, can help a lot of young industry folk make their own decisions. Back at you, Dan.
1: You, you when you talk about vetting the book, now my American wino, there were a lot of things in there about, you know, I, my childhood was problematic. uh and I talk about that, and anybody that's read the book would know that. And when we when the book was being vetted by the lawyers at HarperCollins... oh, you too, I was Harper Collins. Yeah, hey, hey, Harper Collins, baby. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, we didn't just high five. It's not social distancing. Um, he's six feet away. Uh, so I there were some things in there that the lawyers were worried about, and it turns out it was maybe rightfully so. I said, "There's no way my mom's not going to read it," and and my dad, yeah, you know, whatever, and. But there, I found out from my brother. I hadn't heard from my dad in a while after the book came out. And uh, he's not a very, you know, he's an old school Philly guy. He's not the kind of guy, that, not a great communicator. And uh, there were some brutally honest parts in the book about my child. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom's bipolar. And it was not a good situation early on. My dad hasn't drank. And I'm, I'm not supposed to be saying this, I guess, because it's an uh, alcoholic's anonymous. Anyway. He doesn't care. He hasn't drank in 30 some years, but back then it was, it was a problem. So he, uh, there was one thing that I wrote that really, uh, caused a problem with us. Like my dad, he had, he did not want that in there. What I said, it's true. It was true, at least to me, but yeah, man, you got to make those decisions because you're writing for a public generally that you don't know. Like most people that read, I don't know them, but there are people that are close to you that are going to be impacted by the things you say. And once you say them, once it's in print, it's forever. They don't get to take it back. You don't go, "Oh, can I uh, amend what I wrote on page two forty about you don't get to do it. so a lot goes into that and 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 it's uh, it can be a real challenge to what you're going to reveal and what you're going to conceal in a book.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm feel very fortunate after hearing your story because I, I had amazing parents. Um, and so I think a lot of what concerned them was just, uh, how I would be represented from the things that I was talking about. Um, but I told them, I thought it was really important to represent things truthfully because this, um, this business can be a roller coaster. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's interesting. Do you, do you, uh, do you feel like you've crossed that bridge with your dad at this point, or um, is it still something that's that uh, you guys haven't? Because my parents have celebrated this book, and they're very happy after we crossed that bridge together.
1: You know, the, the funny part is, is prior to COVID happening, uh, there was some a lot of movement on the Hollywood front with the book. The book's been an option, and it... I started thinking to myself, well, Jesus Christ. Like if this thing, I mean, I'd be really happy if they make a movie version of American wino, but I also was thinking to myself, like, uh, is this going to all come back up? I, I, the movie version doesn't have the thing that I'm it, basically, I, I'll just tell you what it was that nice, the thing that, um, m- my mother, who is unfortunately mentally ill and has had a lot of problems, uh, And I, so I, I, as I wrote in the book, truth was always in parentheses in my family. I never knew what was real because most of the time with my mom, it was delusion. But, but there were definitely some bad things that you would expect that would go on if your dad's an alcoholic and your mom's bipolar. And one of the, the thing that I wrote in the book that caused the problem, and you can tell me what you think. I said, my mom would say that my dad would, when she got pregnant, that he wanted her to have an abort with me wanted her to have an abortion and she didn't want to have an abortion. So he, he tried to have one try to do it himself, you know, basically. And, uh, you know, through uh, violence. And what I wrote in the book was, I said, I don't know if it's true that he hit her, but if it is, and he's reading this right now, I bet he's wishing he had hit her a little bit harder. So it was kind of like my way of trying to almost, cause that's how you deal with the pain is like, try to make a joke in a way like, well, you know, If he would have just hit her harder, this book never would have happened. And it really hurt him. It really, uh, it really, and and I can say this now, whatever happened in my life when I was young, if I could take it back, I wouldn't have written that. You know, I wouldn't have written that part. The guy cleaned his life up, he straightened himself up, and he didn't, you know, it's the one thing that I regret more than anything else that's in that book.
2: Have you had that conversation with your dad? And before I hand it back, I mean, I think that's you have. Okay. That's it, it is your life. You know, that's and I'm not you know that. And I'm saying that also to myself is because I had to remind myself when I was writing things. This is this is my life. You know, and also Deborah has a lot of input because she was a part of the whole opening of the varnish. So she saw a lot of the things that were going on. There is a lot that is uh, represented through my ex-girlfriend, uh, Courtney, her father in the book. And uh, her father was a Vietnam vet, did three tours. His third tour was with Air America, which is CIA Special Ops. And when I was with her and we moved out to Los Angeles together and she was my, my girl. She was my lady and so supportive and loving when I was opening up the varnish. And to this day, even though we're not together anymore, she's a dear, dear friend. Uh, but I, my experience with alcoholism was through her father. And um, I drove down to Texas, did an intervention with her. I was, you know, I was supportive of her because she was so loving of her father because he had done this duty for America and he never had any help dealing with his PTSD. So he was popping pills and and drinking. So a lot of that, a lot of that um, dangerous alcoholism is represented through Courtney's father. And I do remember when legal at HarperCollins, because we have the same publisher, HarperCollins, HarperWave, uh, asked, Hey, have you vetted this stuff? And I had to have these long conversations, kind of had to go down memory lane with Courtney, uh, and, and send her some of the stories for her to vet them. And, and that was actually a, a really special experience for the two of us because we were in it when it was happening. And to be able to, you know, cause there's always three sides to a story, your version, my version, then the truth. So to be able to, Go back down that road uh, after you know things have gotten better for her. I mean, her father is now re- passed, and he's you know celebrated as a war hero. But um, that was that was comforting in the whole process to revisit that with her, uh, because I learned a lot of lessons being with Courtney about uh, what drugs and alcohol can do to a family.
1: Yeah, you know where I the moment that the realization that I had was. You know, my dad had a, a very rough childhood himself. He was uh, grew up mostly in an orphanage, him and my his twin brother, my Uncle Ben. And you know, he had a rough life. And, and, you know, that I was thinking of it when you're talking about Courtney's father because these are the things that lead to the alcoholism, right? And so I would have my own issues related to the way that I grew up. So let's say I was having a relationship problem. I would say, but she doesn't, you know, this is what I say to myself, like, but she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what I went through, right? So I know I'm making mistakes, but it's because of what I went through. And why doesn't she, she should forgive me for that because she doesn't know what my life was like and why I I have these problems and these insecurities and trust issues and all this. And and that's when it hit me because I said, well, I'm not affording my dad that same benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm not, when I say something flippantly, like, oh yeah, he was beating the shit out of my mom and it is I'm not taking into account all of the things that brought him to that place and the fact that he did what he needed to do, which was he got sober, you know, and has never had a drink again. It's been since I was 17 years old, you know, so it's been a long time, right? And so, yeah, it's – it's. but you make the decisions, and you said this earlier, it's it's your life, and you're, I, you can't predict the future. You, you, I'm sure 10 years from now you're going to look back at your book and go, why the – fuck did I put that thing in there there are th- there I mean when I wrote why no I was still stinging from this relationship that it ended you knew my ex-girlfriend you'd met her and uh and I wrote these things now some of it was really funny but I don't feel that way anymore I don't feel that way anymore about her now husband who was a guy that was in the picture then and I said all these things and again nothing was really malicious with them a lot of it was done in fun but nonetheless i don't feel that way anymore about them but i did when i wrote it i did when i wrote it and so yeah but you know
2: what i i, I mean, that's that's true and that's that is the risk we take when we put ourselves out there wow So, uh, we're of course right by uh, 29 Palms, the pace out here. So, we just had, I think it was an F 16 flyby, do a flyby for the opening of the Red Dog. That was pretty cool, Dan Dunn. We totally planned it. Um, But listen, the thing I wanted to say is that is the risk we take, and um, that is why you continue to have a narrative. That is why I'm sitting here with you uh, talking because. That's the way I feel inside. You know, we got to transition because we're just about to open. We're about to soft open the Red Dog Saloon out here in Pioneertown, California. I'm here with Dan Dunn, and Dan Dunn looks like he needs a lightning margarita.
1: I had to throw a little Top Gun music in there. Ah, way to the danger zone. Um, dude, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna. I'm gonna come back out here because I want to get. I want to have more of this conversation that we started to gravitate towards. But as as Eric said, he's got a bar to open. This is opening night, and it's just open, right? Or it's opening in 45 minutes, right?
2: Yeah, it's opening. It's super special because we're in, I, you know, this is, it, it's such a weird time because of the current climate we're all living in. But um, we've got an amazing team, um, uh, super blessed with all my partners, and uh, we're opening up during a pandemic. So it's really uh, a taco stand with a lot of outdoor seating, and uh, we've got cocktails, really cold cocktails coming out of the tap. So take a drive, take a day drive, get out here, uh, come support us, and uh, come support hospitality. Be- Oh, you want me to plug my book again? Plug your book. Yes. Ah, shameless promotion. Yes. yes. And please, if you get a chance, go to IndieBound. Sure, it's super easy to just click on your Amazon app. But support small bookstores. They need our help. Please support them. Go to Indiebound. You put in your zip code. It gives you your closest local bookstore. It'll send you to their website, and you can order from them. You might spend three more dollars than you would on Amazon, but guess what? You're supporting small businesses, small families. Please check out On Varnish. Please come out to the desert and check out the Red Dog Saloon in Pioneer Town. Dan Dunn, are we going to do our 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 performance, our dance performance now?
1: Sing us out. Oh.
2: I was a tenor in high school.
1: thank you to everybody out there for tuning into the show I'm Dan Dunn follow me at The Inviber on Instagram Twitter I just created a YouTube channel for what we're drinking so I'm gonna be posting videos up there and it's gonna be spectacular thank you again Eric Alperin you're the best man Red Dog Saloon Pioneertown California get your asses out here and uh, tell Eric I sent you oh and we got fucking jet fighters coming this is so cool out here seriously that's all I got thank you everybody